There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090. Welcome back. Silver and Black tonight, Southern California's only all Raiders talk show. Scott Branson, Mo Moten with you here on the Mightier 1090, the best in SoCal sports talk. Thanks for being with us everyone and what a difference a week makes just a week ago mo and i talking nothing but john gruden and the emails and the resignation and what was going to come next now we get to come on and talk to the faithful audience up and down the west coast and out in las vegas about a raiders win a big win in denver and i bring in my partner mo moton and mo Man, this win in Denver was much needed, not only to stop that two-game losing streak that the Raiders had been on, but also to show that this team could stay focused after the Gruden debacle. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of people wondering, including us, what type of Raider team will we see in Denver? And I think we saw an inspired team that has a lot to play for. I put out the hashtag all last week, too early to fold, and I was telling people, look, don't fast forward to the offseason yet this season is not over don't close the book on a three and two team and lo and behold here we are four and two uh facing an eagles team that's two and four before a bye week so to go into to the bye five and two would be huge for the raiders it really would be huge because like you said that bye week next week uh but then you start to get into some afc west action of course uh with the chiefs and and you get the, the schedule does i mean inside the division it's always hard right i mean the afc west is always i don't care if a team's bad in the division you just never know because of the long time rivalry so to me if the raiders can win this game on sunday in las vegas against the eagles they're going to be sitting in a pretty good position of course uh our, our good friend josh debeau out of uh the bay area who writes for ap who raider nation absolutely loves and wants to have over for dinner every day um he has stat he had the stats about the Raiders going five and two, and it all bodes well for them, uh, Mo. And I think that this team, too, they needed to know that they could stick together, number one, that number two, that they could rally behind interim coach Rich Basaccia, and that they could prove to themselves that, that hey, you know what, this was a crappy thing that happened, but are we a team or are we not a team? And to me, that was the big question. Even if they had lost a close game, you would have understand, and I thought they would lose a close game, by the way, uh, but instead they go out, and I was really impressed with the leadership on so many different levels, Mo, from Derek Carr uh, to the young defenders to Matt Max Crosby again, and 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 the team and the coaching staff keeping it all together. Yeah, I think it's all about these captains right now, and that's not to downplay Rich Basaccio, who's been in that locker room as, of course, a special teams coordinator. He obviously is a leader, but I think a lot of this is going to also fall on the players to keep the keep each other in line. You talked about Derek Carr. He said basically this brought the team together. They're able to block out the noise and say we need to focus on us, not what's going on outside, not the questions they're asking about Gruden, about what we knew and what we don't know. But what are we going to do on the field and how are we going to execute? And I think that's important to have a message with, with captains who are going to spread that message and, again, keep that locker room focused on the task at hand. No doubt about it. And just a, a peek of what's coming ahead here on Silver and Black tonight. We're going to continue our conversation about the win in Denver and this Raiders team as they move forward. We're also going to
going to give you a big I told you so about a certain player. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Coming up after the break, our guest tonight is going to be John Kincaid, longtime national talk show host on CBS Sports, also in Atlanta. He's now back in his hometown of Philadelphia. So we're going to talk to John, who's in Las Vegas tonight for the game on Sunday. He's out there with 300 Eagles fans, 300 listeners from the Philadelphia area who went out there with him to do the game. And he's doing his two shows from Mandalay Bay uh, in the wee hours of the morning. So we're going to talk to John Kincaid about this Eagles team, about this new coaching staff and how they're doing with this two and four start, which Mo, as you know, starting in Philadelphia and and having a a disappointing season, uh, fans there don't take it very well. Yeah, they booed Santa Claus. So if you, <laughs> you can boo Santa Claus, then you're obviously not going to be happy with a two and four start. Now, I still think the Eagles have a chance to wake up and actually make a move in the NFC East, yeah. other than the Cowboys, who's really giving them an issue there if Jalen Hurst gets it to click. I think that defense is getting together. And uh, we'll obviously talk about that today and maybe a little bit on Sunday. But I think that Eagles defense is very formal, so the Raiders are not going to have an easy cakewalk. I see a lot of people saying that the Raiders should win this game after beating Denver, and I say I, I would favor the Raiders on this, but I wouldn't say that they're just going to have a walk in the walk through the park with the Eagles because the Eagles can score points and they can play style. Yeah, our, our, our friend Vic Tafer at The Athletic, by the way, covers the Raiders. He tweeted out <laughs> late in the week about – uh, the Raiders and the Eagles, and he picked the Eagles uh, just against the spread, right? Okay, so the Raiders, for those of you that, that do uh, wager on the game, the Raiders are three-point favorites. That's usually uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a game between two teams that aren't drastically uh, uh, diabolically opposed from a record perspective, then what you usually get at home is you get a, you get a field goal advantage, right? So the Raiders are three-point favorites. Vic picked the Eagles because he thinks it might be a close one, right? And um, you have all these people just saying, what are you, why are you picking against us? And I, I commented back to him, Mo, I said, you know, it's amazing how fans, you know, before last week's game and after the John Gruden stuff, this team couldn't beat anybody. The season was over. Then they win a game and they look really good. And now they're going out and saying, well, how dare you pick against the Raiders? <laughs> it's really, it's really interesting, you, you, the Jekyll and Hyde. You, you can't win. And, and I just want to say one thing about Twitter, and I've learned this over the past, and I should have listened to Q last year when he said this. <laughs> don't don't pay too much attention to Twitter because one minute, like last week, as I said, I said it's too early to fold. And a lot of yes. people, I'm usually called too critical of the Raiders. Right. People say, oh, you're too negative. You're too objective, Mo. You need to see the, the rainbows and unicorns sometimes. <laughs> and I was when I said, don't don't close the book on the season because this Raider team isn't done. A lot of people go, oh, Mo, it's done. Let it go. Oh, let it go. The season's over. They let John Gruden's gone. We need to figure out what we're going to do with Derek Carr, what we're going to do with this player in the offseason. And now I'm like, okay, and it's on the other side of saying, now we should win every game. Now the Raiders should go, you know, I don't know, 15 and 2, you know, whatever the case may be. And they can't lose a game now. So yeah. you can't win either way with these Twitter, some of these, some of these Twitter folks. Some of some. you out there are cool. And I and I oh, yeah. and I and I communicate with those people. On a, on a daily basis there's some great raider fans on twitter that i talk to frequently yes but if you're if you're looking for the approval the 100 percent approval no matter what you say someone's gonna have a problem with it. they are it's it's out i've i've said it for years now outrage culture it's like you're gonna be outraged about everything um i like you know this oh i'm outraged okay whatever so so you're right and the good news is today on today's show tonight's show here on the mightier 1090 we don't have to spend the whole show talking about John Gruden, but I do want to bring in this one thing because it happened 
uh, during the Raiders midweek press conferences with Josh Jacobs. Now, Josh Jacobs was asked about the difference in being in the game. And Josh Jacobs, you know, I think threw some shade at John Gruden, not purpose, not purposefully. He's a respectful young guy. I don't think he did it on purpose. He was just being honest. So in today's culture, when you're honest, you're, you're, you're upsetting people and you're throwing shade at them. So, but Josh Jacobs said, listen, you know, in ass, and I'm paraphrasing here, when we're on the sideline, how was the game? And he was asked the question by the media pool. And he said, listen, it was much, it was much more relaxed. I think people were, were calm. They were, you know, when we got down, not everybody was yelling. There was nobody yelling at referees. We just said, okay, we got this. We got we to gotta settle down and we got to take care of business. That was in essence, and I'm, again, paraphrasing what he said. But clearly, Mo, the mood under Rich Basaccia as the interim head coach with John Gruden, that big personality, that Chucky, that all-encompassing person who was running the entire Raiders football organization, him being gone now, the team has kind of exhaled, it sounds like, from Jacob's comments. Yeah, and I went to look at the press conference because I, I sometimes people take comments out of context. <laughs> no. I wanted to see how the question was asked and how he answered it. But you're right, and, and you paraphrase it very well. Basically, he said it's more relaxed. You don't have people cursing at them. You don't have someone cursing at the uh, going crazy at the rest. That's that. Those are his words, going crazy at the rest. Yeah. And we all know who that is. how John Gruden's demeanor is on the sideline, who that is. So he didn't say John Gruden by name, but you can kind of see where he was going with this. And I just want to make a comment. I, I commented on Josh Jacobs, and I said maybe it's a good thing. They, the Raiders might be better off yeah. maybe being an even-killed team because a lot of times the team reflects the head coach. Yes. So your head coach's demeanor, who he is, is who your team is going to be on the field. And as, as we see, the Raiders have been kind of undisciplined with the penalties, kind of hot and cold, and that's kind of what's been said about John Gruden. He runs hot and cold on players. You see he can go, he can go crazy on the sidelines. And this is not me dumping on Gruden while he's down, but this is the act. Right. And, and to me, it's, it's also, Mo, a situation where you talk about the personality of the team taking on the personality. Well, John Gruden, too, one of the things, and I was very open about it, there's suddenly people, be, people being critical of John Gruden who never said a word and pretty much said he could walk on water before, but now they're all, you know, throwing, throwing him under the bus. But I've always said, and I've been very consistent in this, for example, post-game press conferences, I mean, the last three years, uh, lots of excuses, Right. Not always a, a direct answer. And I'm not talking about coaching answers. I'm talking just when you get your ass kicked, for example, and you come out and, well, you know, we got guys out and we have this and we have to travel and blah. No, you have to have accountability. Right. And so I think some of that goes away, too. And, and you, you just you, you walk around with your sphincter so tight as a Raider under John Gruden, to your point, now you get to loosen up a little bit. Now you see guys that work hard next to you at practice like Dun dun dun! Kenyon Drake, maybe, uh, who who were underutilized in that system because of your your point about Gruden going hot and cold on guys, and suddenly you feel like, oh my gosh, this is a little better. It's a little looser now. They got to keep it together. It was one win. Let's keep it in perspective. It's a long season, uh, but it was a key bump for them to get over. They got over it. So let's go into the Kenyon Drake situation, Mo, because I I don't very often, and you know this about me, having working with me on the website and and on the shows many many times. I'm not one to pound my chest when I'm right, because I'm wrong a lot too, okay? But the Kenyon Drake thing, you and I, for what, five weeks, four weeks now, have been talking about how Kenyon Drake, you wrote, I think, one or two pieces maybe even up on VegasSportsToday.com about it, and even mentioned it in your Bleacher Report coverage as well, um, talking about why you spent all this money on Kenyon Drake, and he's there, and you're not using him. Well, lo, lo and behold... 
They go to Denver. Greg Olson takes over play calling. They use Kenyon Drake. And what happens? He racks up 73 yards from scrimmage and scores two touchdowns. <laughs> you know what's so funny about that? The first drive, Kenyon Drake, I believe, had a six-yard run on the very first drive. And I tweeted out, Kenyon, they're loosening the shackles on Kenyon Drake. And I kind of <laughs> felt like this was that was the game where he was going to have his coming out party and finally mm. make some contributions. As you just talked about, as we just talked about, he finally got his time to shine. And Jacobs also talked about that, saying that he was very happy to see Kenyon Drake break out because they practice together in the offseason. They're very good friends. Of course, they have roots that go back to Alabama. So it was good to see Kenyon Drake being involved and be that X factor for the offense. Yeah, no doubt. And and the thing with Kenyon Drake, to your point, you talked about him. They ran him, and you're thinking, oh, he's going to be involved with the running game because I know Josh Jacobs in the same press conference we were talking about earlier with his, his veiled comments about John Gruden and the relaxed atmosphere with him gone now was the fact that Jacob said this week that he feels for the first time 100%, which we all knew. We all knew he hasn't been 100%. And I was I was texting you and our good friend Evan Grote during the game that, man, he just doesn't have that step. He's not hitting that hole like you used to seeing Josh Jacobs do. And now he says this week he's healthy, so we'll have to see. So when they started running Drake, I was like, okay, this is good. Establish the run, which they needed to do, uh, and keep giving him the rock. Well, they kind of did, and then it kind of faltered a little bit with that offensive line. But as we talked about earlier in the season too, Mo, when you're lacking the running game, go to the short passing game, and that's where they got him involved. And he's he is the re- that's the reason you signed him, was to, yes, run the ball, spell J- Josh Jacobs, but also to be that target out of the backfield. Yeah, he ran that sweet wheel route on the side, beat yes. Alexander, the linebacker for the Broncos, for that touchdown. And I'm like, yes, they're finally <laughs> using Drake properly. Not just as a wide receiver four or five, they're using him as a dual threat. Can run the ball, give you a, a handful of carries, can give you a handful of catches the same. And Greg Olson talked about this. There are some routes where they like Jacobs running. There are some routes where they like they would prefer Kenyon Drake. And I think that's what you need because Jacobs is not the guy you want getting the ball 20 20- because he said it. He said his yeah. body can't handle all of that. And I'm pra- paraphrasing that. He wants Kenyon Drake to be more involved because he knows he takes a pounding from week to week. So having Drake there and using actually using him is also beneficial for Josh Jacobs in the long run. Oh, it's absolutely. Not only because of the abuse it, it saves him, but also it gives the Raiders... Uh, on offense, when you're lining up against whoever you're playing on the defensive side, they have to account for him. They they know he can run the ball. They know he can catch the ball and that they have designed plays for him like that wheel route you talked about on the touchdown in Denver. And so you have to account for it, which means uh, the Raiders can do different things on offense, catch the defenders off guard and go to a different play even as well. So So it makes a big difference. And that's why I never understood... Raider fans who didn't get why Kenyon Drake was there and that this isn't some guy who's 40 years old has got nothing left. This guy has got a lot left and he's got a lot to bring this team in the running game and the passing game. And it's just good to see uh, him used. Mo, what else stuck out for you as far as Greg Olson taking over the play calling? What did you notice about it uh, versus uh, the previous uh, five weeks with John Gruden? Definitely that screen pass to Josh Jacobs. I know a lot of fans Mm. were making jokes about this they were like wow we we you know you can you can throw a screen pass to running backs too like this can happen <laughs> and just seeing <laughs> just seeing that uh just let you know that you know greg Olson has his had his influence had his stamp on the offense and i thought that was very very interesting 
And I'm I'm starting to see, I'm hoping we we didn't see it too much in the last game, but I'm hoping we start to see more targets for Henry Ruggs because we're yeah. starting to see Henry Ruggs really develop in the second year. So I'm hoping that means he starts to see you know six to eight targets to, instead of maybe three four targets a game. Very efficient right now, over twenty yards per catch. He's developing. Use him to his max because I know you got Darren Waller there, but you spent your your twelfth overall pick on a Henry Ruggs, first wide receiver picked in the twenty twenty draft. I want to see him fully blossom into a, into a complete playmaker and and continue to make big plays and cross over a thousand yards this year. Yeah, and I'm excited to see him go up against Darius Slay on Sunday. That should be interesting, shouldn't it? I mean, you got to imagine they're going to be paired up at some time. Slay might also slide over and cover Waller. I would imagine, um, but we'll have to see how that goes down. But but you're absolutely right. I mean, Henry Ruggs, he's got that confidence now. I mean, you can see him even when he talks to the media. He's the the level of confidence in him now in himself as well is huge. And so they got to keep going back to him especially against this Eagles defense which is good up front they might have to get the ball out faster Mo and so I'd love to see them do to line them up in the slot do nothing against our our buddy Hunter Renfro who needs to be there too but I'd love to see them do that or uh, shoot across the middle on some of those slant plays that we've talked about so often here really quick though also play action that was something I actually wrote in my article last week that I wanted to see more play action a lot of Raider fans had this misconception that your your run game needs to be effective to run play action that's not necessarily true as long as the defense believes that you'll run the ball and Josh Jacobs himself is enough to make a threat and get that safety to step up in the box then you can get some one-on-one matches downfield that you can pick apart and I think having that play action now you you fake you get a you get a linebacker you get a safety to run up then you can throw deep downfield, and Derek Carr has been very aggressive this year. So I think it, it bodes well for that offense to use more play action. Yeah, and that's as what they I have. And I noticed that too. My one, there was a, even the commentators on the game. There was a couple key third and shorts where Derek Carr was was under center, right? And and right. and so you and to your this is exactly the point you just made, which is he's under center, so they think you're going to run the ball, right? Instead, you check into a play action. And you hit downfield for 11, 12 yards instead of getting the two that you needed. So I really like to see uh, the way Greg Olson, because I, I, I thought John Gruden, and we, we were consistent in our criticism here, is that when it got to a short yardage situation, he got very conservative. And Greg Olson instead went the other way and looked downfield to his tight ends uh, and to his receivers to do that. So that was good. What about the offensive line, though? They obviously played better against Denver. Now, Denver didn't have the greatest game on defense either. They were missing some pieces. But you didn't hear from Vaughn Miller very much at all, right? And they really neutralized that. Uh, They had some key penalties. Uh, Of course, Alex Leatherwood continues to struggle there with that. But overall, I thought they did better. But the big question I want to ask you is – is the offensive line improving, or do you need to see maybe three games in a row to get some consistency to say, you know what, this group is developing into a better group? Yeah, I need to see a little more. I'm a guy, and I've said this, I'm a guy who looks at patterns and trends. So right. one game is not enough for me to say, okay, the offensive line is fixed or is heading in the right direction. I did like, I know you mentioned the penalty with uh, with uh, Alex Leatherwood. I believe it was a false start, and he's had some issues with false starts this year. Nine penalties on the season, uh, aside from his pass protection issues. And that's something he has to work on. But I think he was much better. I think that was his best game as a pro so far, yeah. moving inside at right guard in his second game. So I think he's headed in the right direction. Now, if he continues on that, on that, on that slope, then he'll be fine. Now, we'll see what they do against the Eagles because Javon Hargrave, Fletcher Cox, uh, Josh Sweat, those guys are going to be pressing at the front line. So I, I think that interior is going to be really tested on Sunday. That's out. That's um, 
Andre James, that's Alex Leatherwood, that's John Simpson. Those guys are really going to be put to the test. So we'll see what they look like against the Eagles front line. Yeah, that Andre James versus Hargrave um, is going to be a tough one. So you're going to get, you're going to see <laughs> how much Andre James has progressed here uh, through six plus weeks now going into week seven because it, it, he's coming and he's not going to stop. He's, he's a force. He's, he's got six sacks on the year. And we'll talk to John Kincaid here uh, after the break about the Eagles and about Hargrave the year he's having. And yes, the strength of that defense for the Eagles is up front uh, and it's going to really test that offensive line. And I, I, like you, need to see a couple more games before I say, you know what, it's starting to gel because we talked about that in the preseason. This line has to gel, but you can't take 10 weeks to gel. you got to do it pretty quickly. They've already taken too long but sitting at four and two you got to appreciate what the Raiders were able to do out in Denver all right we're coming up on the first break when Mo and I come back we're going to be joined by our good friend John Kincaid John of course longtime radio host down in Atlanta he also was on CBS Sports Radio used to have a show on before I did with our first show on CBS Sports uh, on Sunday morning so I used to listen to him as I was setting up getting ready for our our Sunday morning show so he's going to be with us uh, next here on Silver and Black today only here the mightier 1090 Southern California's local sports talk here with Mo Moten with Scott Branson. we'll be back right after this message don't go anywhere we will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 SoCal Sports Talk. Scott and Moe on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 AM. All right, welcome back to Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090. That's right, the 50,000-watt blowtorch. doesn't matter if you're in TJ, Mexico, or if you are in near Vancouver, the Canadian Rockies. You're listening to Southern California, the West Coast only all Raiders talk show. Scalco Branson, Mo Moten with you. And Mo, you know, you get to go home sometimes, right? It's a, lot, a lot of people move out. They have careers. They move around. And our next guest who's here to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles is one of those guys, a Philly guy, spends all these great years in Atlanta. And, of course, you guys know him as John Kincaid, the JK Show. If you listen to CBS Sports Ray, used to be a national show. Of course, he had a show in, in Atlanta. And now he's back in Philly with the JK Show on 97 Point five, the fanatic and and JK, we you know because you're the prince of Philadelphia and you went home, uh, just like when the president enters to hail to the chief. There's a song that you have to enter to, right? And I'm going to play this for you. Does this okay. sound familiar? Yeah, I, 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 a Temple fight song is always good for me. <laughs> that always is good as it crowds Temple out. I like hearing that. That's right. It's, uh, it's, it's been fun to get, it's been fun to come home. Yes, it really is fun, and I'm sitting in the pretty much half-empty living room of our new home, and it's just been a whirlwind year, and it's been so much fun to get back into Philly and my first Eagles season doing this job. Because as a professional, <laughs> as a professional talk show host, uh, I did most of my career in Atlanta. I mean, yeah. it started at WIP in Philly, but I was just part time. 
Yeah. And so I, I build a career there and then I finally come home and it's really exciting. Well, it's nice too. Cause like you said, you get back there into uh, the Philly swing with the fans there. And we, we all know outside of Philadelphia, how intense and how passionate uh, and how cruel sometimes, uh, oh, but usually okay. with good cause the Philly fans can be. And that's where I want to start when we talk about, Oh, by the way, I have to say you're in Vegas. You did your show in the early hours of the morning because your show of course runs from six to 10 a.m. in Philly. So that's 3 a.m. Vegas time. Yes. And you so did... it was 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. at the <laughs> Mandalay Bay, uh, at, the, at the Mandalay Bay Sportsbook Radio Studios, where um, whenever I would come out for Super Bowls, because I did five Super Bowls out in Vegas mm-hmm. with Scotty Farrell, and Scotty would go from the D in Old Town, and I would go from uh, Mandalay Bay, because I'm more of an uptown girl, as he would say. <laughs> and uh, Scotty would tell me, he could Go on, yeah, I'm more uppity. He wants to wander over from the Bellagio. He doesn't want to get down here with the dirty. So, uh, so I would uh, we would do the show there, and it was really you know it was a nice setup. But three in the morning doing a radio show that was different. That was a a very different experience. And it's interesting the people that wander into a radio show and go yeah. like, what the hell is going on in here at like four in the morning, five in the morning, and they stare at you. Yeah, I felt like I was at a petting zoo or something, <laughs> but uh, it, it was it was a, it's a lot of fun. It is really good. We had our welcome party, uh, you know, uh, welcome party this afternoon at Blondie's, uh, nice. and uh, we will do our pregame tailgate out at the Daylight Beach Club at Mandalay Bay on Sunday. Wow! And we, uh, I uh, will, uh, I'm rolling into the Knights game as we speak. Nice. I'll be going to the Knights game. See? So going to see my buddy Darren Elliott, uh, who's a vice president with the uh, Golden Knights. Got me hooked up with some really beautiful seats to go see the night. Darren used to be the color analyst on our Thrashers TV broadcast yes. when I did radio and TV for the Thrashers. So nice. it's, a, it's, it's a great time. Vegas feels, you know, it, I've always thought of it as like a second home. I love Vegas. It's always fun. And I love the people. And back when you had your national show, you know, you used to talk about oh. when, when the Golden Knights came into the league, you were like one of the only national hosts that were supportive and really wanted them to succeed where everybody's like, oh, it's not going to work. It's not, and you're like, no, it will work. And, oh, no, it's working. Oh, yeah, it's working pretty good. Uh, and the fact that you're able to come there, and that's the great thing about the Raiders being in Las Vegas now is, and although there was there was some, there was some uh, blowback from Raiders fans because so many Bears fans came into town a couple weeks ago when they lost to the Bears, but you're coming out with 300 of your closest friends, your listeners from 97.5 The Fanatic, which is awesome. And, and that's what great, that makes Vegas a great destination for the well, NFL. I can tell you it's going to be, there are, Reportedly, if you go by the ticket map, <laughs> yeah. there are around 11,000, 12,000 seats that were bought from the Philadelphia area. Wow. So if you go with secondary ticket market, you're talking about 12, I think it's 12,700 we were able to track. So then you talk about then, and that's not people who bought them directly from, and no, that's not second people hand. who didn't buy them sites. So it could be, we could be talking 15,000, 16,000 Eagle fans. Wow, that's incredible. Building. And that's the, the, what I'm going to say is going to make it even more colorful on Sunday. <laughs> it sure will. All right. Well, John, let's dive into the football. The Eagles, two and four. Obviously, no one's happy with that in Philadelphia. And I'm going to start with the coach, Nick Sirianni, who, uh, freshman coach, he's really struggling. His staff is struggling. As I see your tweets, as I see other people from uh, Philly sports talking about it, tell me how this 10 years started. What's going right, if anything? And what do you see with Nick Sirianni? that needs to change and change quickly well if you're saying he's a freshman coach i wish he was held back in eighth grade because <laughs> he could have done that again because he has been overmatched um you know some coaches are playing chess 
And I said this morning he'd be challenged to win a game of Hungry Hungry Hippos. <laughs> uh, he, let's just say he's not a tactician. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, are, they have primarily run the same six plays out of RPO sets. He doesn't run the football. They have the worst run-pass ratio through six games in NFL history. Wow. Which is ridiculous. Now I see the Raiders can't stop the run this weekend, which means Nick Sirianni's going to say, you know what's bright of us? Let's throw the ball 52 freaking times. Because <laughs> he's not going to figure it. He doesn't figure it out. He, he, he's, he, he, I've yet to see his staff adjust. And I was complaining again today because um, earlier on in the week, he spoke at his press conference about, well, we self-scout every week. We self-scout. Our staff self-scouts. Well, guess what? They have the youngest staff ever assembled in the history of the NFL. And it's showing. Yeah. And I don't believe they have an adult in the room that has some experience to say, when the hell are we doing, guys? This isn't working. Why are we doing this? And to question, and I think that's part of the problem. So is Momo jumping in here. Uh, sure. Okay, so what what is what do you think is the reluctance to run the ball? Like you, you have you have Sanders out there. You have Miles Sanders, wildlife coming out of Penn State. You drafted sure. Kenny Gainwell in the fifth round. He's flashed a little bit when he's had an opportunity to touch the football. What do you think is the reluctance there, and why are they putting the ball in Jalen Hurts' hands when he can have some help with the run game? Do you know that Jalen Hurts has controlled more plays under center, uh, not under center, as a quarterback this year than any quarterback in the NFL, 4% yep. more than Tom, than Tom Brady? It makes no sense. It's a game plan that makes no sense. And the thing is, what they're trying to point out is, is that Jalen Hurts takes run-pass option, and he chooses to pass every time. That he, uh, you know, he rolls out a little bit, he gets nervous, and he locks on his first primary receiver. Uh, he, he has to throw by sort of leaning back and putting his legs in it to get the ball downfield. Now, he can deliver the ball downfield, but it's this convoluted process that looks like me getting up from a recliner. Uh, it, it, just, it just doesn't, it's not, it, it doesn't look fluid, it doesn't look strong, and he does not have your typical NFL arm. He has the brain. He has the leadership ability. He has the common sense. So, like, I mean, he has savvy. He's a savvy kid. But uh, the NFL arm, I believe, is not there. And we've been saying on our show, I have my whole crew, and we put a white flag. We have a white flag. And when somebody is ready to wave the white flag on Jalen Hurts this year and the Jalen Hurts experiment, they wave it. Nobody's waved it yet, but I have a feeling after Sunday I may if the passing game doesn't improve. So you touched on Jalen Hurts, and I just want to talk about that. There are a lot of opinions out there about him. After his season opening performance against the Falcons, some critics may have thought maybe we're too harsh on him. Maybe the Eagles have something at QB. Now, you touched on a few positives and negatives there. If you can expand on those and tell me, do you think Jalen Hurts is the quarterback of the Eagles next year in 2022? If you're taking six games of this year as the measuring stick, Right now, he's getting a letter home from the teacher, and they're asking for a parent-teacher conference. He's not – no, no, no. He's not, he's not heading towards – we're heading towards midterms, and he's going to have to pull out an A or two just, I believe, to get a passing grade for the semester. Uh, I am not – I'm not pleased with what I'm seeing. Uh, he panics. Uh, I don't think he's got happy feet, but I think he's got happy arm. Uh, he, he tries, he moves, he moves too quickly. And once again, he, he locks on his primary receiver and that's where he goes. Uh, he doesn't go through his progressions. He doesn't check down. And a lot of quarterbacks get attacked for checking down. I've heard seen Derek Carr oh, yeah. get attacked for checking down yep. by your fan base. Uh, Jalen Hurts refuses to check down. He's the anti-Derek Carr. He gets, <laughs> whatever the, whatever the primary read is, he goes to it. 
Uh, I don't know why they don't go to Gainwell more. I don't know what Gainwell has been really flashy. Last week, mm-hmm. they forgot completely about him. And the coach actually said, we got a little lost in our play calling. By the way, he said that in four of the six games this year. If you're lost in the play calling, coach, pin a little note to yourself and say, run the freaking ball, especially against the Raiders this weekend. And I think if they ran the ball more, I think it would give Jalen Hurts a better chance to succeed. Yeah, I mean, take some pressure off the kid. I mean, you have yeah. to do that, especially since he's been sort of, I mean, I, I know people say you shouldn't you shouldn't use old terminology and say, well, you, you can't bring a quarterback along. Who says, right? You can if you need to. Uh, and I Why think not? That, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, especially if you think he's got, especially if you think the young man has all the, he has the leadership intangibles, mm-hmm. he has the common sense, he's got the brain, he's got the charisma, he's got all the things you want. He just doesn't have that NFL arm. But then again, I don't think Drew Brees did, and he's the all-time no. leading passer. Took time. Like, uh, so, so, I mean, I don't believe that it has to be this – you have to have this cannon of an arm. You don't have to be, you know, Justin Herbert. Right. But you do have to, you do have to be able to make the progression of throws, and you, he almost falls down throwing the deep ball, honestly. His backside almost touches the ground. He's leaning back so far. <laughs> it's amazing. John Kincaid is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter, at John Kincaid. I'm shy, by the way, too. You can tell him. Oh, yeah. Shy. yeah. <laughs> and if I don't you, have many opinions. If you come at John, you better come fully equipped. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can hear him at 97.5 The Fanatic in Philadelphia. He's in Vegas right now getting ready for the Raiders and the Eagles. And, and you know, we talked about earlier. Now, with, the Golden Knights and the Oilers. The Golden, then the Raiders. Then the Raiders. You're having the ultimate yeah. guys weekend. I'm sure your wife is loving that, right? Oh, uh, yes, I am. Yeah, <laughs> but, but John, you look at this team. We talked about Seriani early. One of the things, too, with the coaching staff has been this kind of inability to, ha- to play situational football. We've seen it on defense, but yet there are some bright spots on the defense. Javon Hargrave continues. I mean, six sacks. Uh, he is the force of that interior uh, line on the defense. Talk a little bit about the defense that the Raiders will face in the Eagles. What are their strengths? If you're the Raiders and you're drawing up a game plan, what are you going to do to beat that defense? Well, hopefully your center is going to be ready to have a great game hmm. because he's going to come He's going to come up the middle and he's going to cause problems for Derek Carr. And that's going to be he, – he will be coming in. He'll either come in a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, and they will move him around a bit. But Hargrave really has been a public menace this year. He is – he's been fantastic. Uh, he's been a, an absolute godsend because last year had a really slow start in his first year coming off injury, but he has been amazing. I mean, he's having a Pro Bowl season, mm-hmm. and he's been a real impact player. Your problem for you guys is Fletcher Cox has sort of woken up, and Fletcher Cox has started to come around. He was struggling a little bit, and now he's put together, put together a couple games where he's starting to look a little more like Fletcher Cox. Those two guys break down the middle of a, a defensive line, yeah. and they rarely, they rarely lose their battle Sometimes they win it, and you know I, I would say more times than not they win it, and sometimes they fight to a draw. Uh, I would say for the Raiders, you're, you're hoping for the draw because if those two are getting penetration, especially early on in a game, they wear your ass out. Yeah, and it can be a long day, and that can cause problems for Derek Carr if you have to just constantly do shot, get into shotgun, if you constantly have to be switching up what you want to do as a game plan. Uh, in order to try to you know relate to those two, because I can tell you the edge rushers for Philadelphia, they are not nowhere to be found. Right, they're 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 just it's all not from the inside. Found. Yeah, yeah, it's it's got to be if 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 the Raiders control that de- their their defensive front can keep the pressure from coming mm-hmm. between the tackles, if they can control that, they're going to have a great chance to win this game. If well, that gets broken down early and they start blowing up the running game, 
Yeah. There, could, there could be some problems. This could be a four-quarter battle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one quick question to follow up on the defense. A guy that I didn't think much of, I didn't even think he'd make the Eagles, uh, Gennard Avery, linebacker, has really surprised people. Talk a little bit about him. What's he doing? Why is he suddenly turning heads? I have no idea because, honestly, I thought he was marginal to make the team also. Yeah. He's been better in Jonathan Gannon's defense. But Jonathan Gannon's defense is very, very – they're going to make. They're, they're going to want Derek Carr to go ten to twelve plays to score a touchdown. Hmm. So that's going to be the play, and it worked against the. It worked against the Chiefs. Now the problem was the Chiefs scored a touchdown every damn drive. <laughs> I mean, it, like okay. they they just but they made them go eleven plays, twelve plays, eight plays, eleven plays. They're going to try to get. They're going to try to force you guys to go down the field slowly and surely, matriculating the ball, and hope that Derek Carr and the offense make a mistake. The um, what's going to be what's going to be really good about it though is the fact that a guy like Avery is being asked to play. They're not playing an aggressive scheme, right? And if they and if they played an aggressive scheme, I believe he would be getting exposed. Mm. I think they found a way where, in a more patient scheme, where they're not asking him to 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 overcommit, where or, or to take the chance that he could overcommit. I think he's got a better chance. He's been he's been he's been fairly good. He's been eye opening. Let's put it that way. He's been successful. So I believe Adam Schefter appeared on your show, and he said if the Eagles won every week, every week on Wednesday, yes, that's correct. And he, I believe, he said the Eagles would be sellers if they were one and six. Now they're two and four. If they lose to the Raiders, do you think Howie Roseman dumps some expiring contracts? And if so, who do you think could be on the move? I really don't think there's a lot they can sell. Zach Mm -hmm. Ertz was a was a good sale this week. I don't Mm -hmm. believe that there's a lot they can sell. Um, It's the the roster's not that talented for guys that are like veterans that you might want to move on from. Darius Slay is one that I believe if this team was to lose to the Raiders and at that point you fall to two and five, and then you've got a Detroit game before the trade deadline. You lose that one. You're two and six. You're selling. You're absolutely selling. And I think Darius Slay is a guy who could be on the move. I could see Tampa Bay making a move for Darius Slay. I could see other other Super Bowl contenders with shaky secondary. Because Mm -hmm. once again, Slay has woken up. He's gotten into a a little bit better where they've asked him to play a little more, less of that soft zone, and they've been having him, you know, blanketing the best receiver or the best target for the other team, and he's played a better game. He's been, he's stepped up. So I think Darius Slay could be one of the teams that I've interest in, but I don't believe the Eagles have a lot of teams that, if they're having the yard sale, you're coming by, you're picking this stuff on the table, but you're saying, man, this crap needs to go to goodwill. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, and you look at the you look at the Eagles schedule. If they could beat the Raiders on Sunday and then beat the Lions, uh, then it's a different situation because the schedule gets easier on the back end. But John Kincaid, you got to look for him. Now, if there's any trouble in the stands with Eagle fans, just look because John will be in the middle oh, of no, it. Oh, no, you won't. Look for the, the Silver <laughs> Fox will be there. And by the way, so month, you know, Sunday night late, Monday yeah. morning, really, 3 a.m. We'll be at Mandalay Bay broadcasting live from the sportsbook, 3 to 7 a.m. Yes. We will be there broadcasting live. I don't know how sleep-deprived we will be, and we may be in a salty <laughs> mood. So just, uh, you know, people can come on by and see us there. And uh, I'm sure if the Eagles were to win, it will be quite a, a great night for the bars along the strip. Yes, it I will. I can promise you that. Well, I'll tell you, Raider Nation will definitely come to see your show at 3 a.m. They don't sleep, so they'll be there and they'll want to meet no, you. they're vampires, uh, right? That's right. I mean, it's, it's the way it works. <laughs> I, love the, I love that Vegas is enjoying the Raiders. Oh, yeah. I love that Vegas has pro sports. I believe you will have NBA and Major League Baseball soon. I really do. Yeah, it'll happen uh, pretty soon. I, and I, and, and – 
I, I believe the NBA would like to get there before the before baseball, baseball. gets there. Yeah, I agree with you. But on that. Uh, but uh, and and I'm I'm still very skeptical about baseball in Vegas. Very yeah. skeptical that that is that that's a plan that would really work. But I I do believe you're going to get them both before before the end of the before the end of the decade. I think they will have them both. I do too, and uh, it's all ramping up. It'll be fun to talk to you about it in the future. It's a great town. It's yep. a great town. It's, it's great, great people. We love them all, and uh, we hope that uh, you guys continue to have success. It's awesome to talk to you. All right, there you go. The great John Kincaid. Follow him on Twitter, at John Kincaid. Just bring it if you come at him. The JK I'll Show. I'll see you at a blackjack table somewhere. <laughs> 97.5 The <laughs> Fanatic. John, as always, my friend, take care, and we'll talk to you real soon. All right, take care, guys. That was a pleasure. Take care. All right, there you go, Mo. John is always uh, always a dynamo, always fun to talk to. But he brings up a good point, and, and this is what I'm saying. You know, there's never a an easy win in the NFL. The Raiders coming off that big win in Denver, now at home on Sunday against the Eagles. But the Eagles, like we were talking in your question about the trade market, the Eagles, if they can put two games together here, then they might keep some of those guys and try to try to make a push here. If they lose to the Raiders, it could change their whole season. Yeah, absolutely. These two weeks before the trade deadline are usually crucial because it lets a team know where we are. Are we going to sell and, and prepare for 2022? Or are we going to buy or stick with what we have and compete in 2021? So, crucial game coming up. Yeah, I think the interior of that Eagles defense is going to give the Raiders trouble. So, I'm going to I'm gonna pick the Raiders in this one, Mo, uh, and, but I'm going to say it's going to be by a field goal again. I keep using that one, but I think it's the Raiders are going to win a close one uh, late in the game to continue their little now two-game winning streak after the win. What, what say you on this game? Game Sunday in Vegas. Well, if you heard what John said, he, he doesn't have a lot of faith in that coaching staff, and I think the Raiders have a good coaching staff, and they'll out-coach the Eagles and win by six. I'm going 30 to 24 Raiders. There you go. Six. He's He's got six. I got three. So, hey, they'll probably win by five. Um, <laughs> nonetheless, Mo, uh, another end of a great show, my friend. I appreciate you being here, and we'll talk to you on Sunday in Las Vegas on The Fan in Las Vegas for our Sunday show, Silver and Black Today Game Day. Yeah, get ready to get pumped up for a good kickoff. Oh, yeah, that's that's going to be fun. So for John Kincaid, for my partner in crime, Mr. Mo Moten, I'm Scott Cobranson. This has been Silver and Black Tonight. That's right, the only Raiders talk show here in Southern California. Thanks for being with us, everyone, and enjoy the game. Raider Nation, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight, every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 AM. SoCal Sports Talk.